My next guest is the very definition of someone who doesn't need an introduction. But here we go. <laughs> there is so much to talk about here uh, from uh, CBC's This Hour is 22 Minutes, from CODCO, from Gemini Awards, Canadian Comedy and Canadian Screen Awards, the Earl Grey Award. That's really something. That's happening. And, Free and, tea for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Walsh is my guest in studio. Uh, we're going to talk about everything. We've Good. got we've got an hour. We're going to talk about everything. Uh, but the Earl Grey Award. Tell me about receiving that and what you thought when they said we're going to give you this award. Oh well, I was really uh, thrilled. Really, uh, you know, I, I also it's like there is there is that sense sometimes that a lifetime achievement award is like a marker at the end right. but l- luckily this year for the Canadian Screen Awards I was also up for a best uh, um, uh, best um, lead actress lead actress which is on Sunday and then I didn't get it last night for best uh, you know the whatever or guest actress in a guest comedy guest actress in a comedy right and uh, but uh, so that kind of it was like this big year for me where I thought wow, I got this Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm going to get that anyway. Mm -hmm. And I'm also nominated for another two, so it's not like it's over. It's like it's still going on, right? So if that was... uh it was um, it, it was reassuring. Well, didn't you get a Lifetime Achievement Award for your work with Codco 10 or 15 years ago? Yes. We, the, we got the Earl Grey Award. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it was a big night because uh, Tommy had um, just died, Tommy Sexton, yeah, and his yeah. mother. <coughs> Mrs. Sexton came on stage with us, and we got a standing ovation. She spoke very... Uh, you know, movingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know. Now, I wanted to, to go way back. And you were the seventh of eight children. Yes. And so that's, we're going way back now. <laughs> yeah. So it, did you have to sort of be funny to get attention? Was that part of the deal? Well, see, I didn't grow up with my family. I grew up with my two maiden aunts and an uncle because when I was eight months old, I had pneumonia. Mm. And mom and dad's house was kind of cold and damp. And Aunt May and Aunt Fina and Uncle Jack's house <laughs> was warmer and drier. So they... After I got out of the hospital, I went to live with them. And then everybody kind of forgot to give me back or nobody <laughs> asked or whatever happened. So I'm I'm the only child of a large family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I had – they were next door. It was a weird, weird, weird thing. You know, I, I'm the little girl who grew up next door to her family. Yeah. yeah. The, the, it's an interesting <laughs> thing because uh, I grew up in a very small town in Nova Scotia. And that kind of – families lived next door to one another. I'm not sure that it happened so much. Anymore, people tend to be a little bit more uh, mobile. In a, a, that's right. Than our it generation. was very common. It's very common with people living, um, you know, um, hand to mouth in in a yeah. kind of living off the land, whatever that's called. But uh, I just, you know, Anna Burns won the uh, Booker Prize this year for The Milkman, mm-hmm. and I I was reading about her. I love the book, and I was reading about her, and she grew up with her auntie across the road from her parents. <laughs> and it was very quiet and subdued at the ants. Yes. And when she wanted a bit of excitement, she'd go across the parents. And that's kind of like me, too. <laughs> <laughs> now, when did did you start being funny? Was it always just a natural thing? Were you a storyteller? Did you have a life of the imagination when you were a child? Well, I was very much alone when yeah. I was a child, right? Because I had the two maiden aunts and an uncle. And it was very quiet upstairs. <laughs> so I did a lot of reading. Right. Uh, and, and then I... I, I I lied a lot about everything. I remember the summer that I used to go down to Bannerman Park with my friends. And then when I went back to school, I had a different accent. And then I said, people said, you sound different. I said, that's because I went to Brooklyn for the summer. 
<laughs> I lied to the people I'd spent the whole summer with. So, uh, <laughs> <coughs> you know, I was often, uh, yeah, I lived a, a life in my imagination for sure. I, I think of it as, uh, you know, I, I always wanted to be a different person than who I was. Mm. And, uh, and so, but I wasn't funny like my family is very funny, like my mother was very funny. All my brothers and sisters are funnier than I am. Like my brother Greg, who's the baby. Right. Like, why did they keep him and give me away? <laughs> I always ask that question. But he is extremely funny and very honest yeah. and very straightforward and cuttingly funny. And uh, so I wanted to be a journalist, really, is what I wanted to be. And that's why This Hour's 22 Minutes was such a great show for me, because I got to pretend I was a journalist <laughs> on TV. But I got in with a crowd. You know how that happens? I mean, I sort of stumbled into it yep. by mistake. I, I, you know, I would been going to marry this American from the base in Argentia, and I'd gone down to Colorado with him. I'd failed in school, pretty well failed at everything. Had a job at the arcade, which is like a, a giant tiger of St. John's, and you know, I was on the out they go while they last on the PA system down there. Sort of <laughs> failed at that, you know, just failed, failed, failed. I was home, lying on the couch, feeling depressed, eighteen, and there was a an ad for a CBC radio program, a summer replacement thing, and I, yeah. I got that show, and then somebody heard me on the radio and I got involved in amateur drama well, and, and I is, met all them and I just stumbled into it. Yeah. And okay. So I know about this story. I've heard about this story. <laughs> and so what were you doing on the radio? This is very much like Peter Mansbridge. Peter really? Mansbridge was an announcer uh, in an airport. He used it, ladies, you know, please uh, make your way to gate 58 or yeah. whatever. And someone from CBC said, that man has a beautiful voice. Let's see what he looks like. They found him and they brought him in. He had never, I don't, he didn't finish high school. He was just someone who happened to be sort of at the right place at the right time and the right person heard them. And it cha obviously changed his life. Getting this job at CBC radio clearly changed yours. It would be great if it was like Peter Mansbridge and I just soared up from there. But I did it. I, I got the job because I didn't think I was going to get the job. So I was really relaxed. Right. And but then when I got the job, I was terrified. Right. And the only the only the only letter we got all summer was from one man who said, who was the mad giggler who's on from 10 to 11. <laughs> and so I did a bad job and didn't get along with anyone and, and, and went from there to calling up people for Canadian child photographers, trying to bully them into getting their children photographed. <laughs> then Robin Taylor, who, who did our local CBC news uh, here and now, he uh, he went on to do uh, the national and things. Mm -hmm. He was a great producer, but he gave me a job at here and now. And then I, you know, I remember him saying to me, Robin Taylor, he was a great producer. And I remember him saying to me after he gave me the job, coming in at 11, Mary is all right. Coming in at noon even, but 2 o'clock? 2 o'clock is just too late. So I really, I don't know, you know, like I stumbled along. I always want to tell about how stumbly-bumbly it was mm -hmm. because I am winning this big award. Yeah. And I want to just reassure people that sometimes it doesn't seem like the path doesn't seem like, oh, my God, now I'm on this path. Right. Things are going to really work out. And, and all of a sudden it does. I mean, there's always that thing where maybe, you know, you fail seven times, get up eight times. Yeah, yeah. And that's failure, it. you learn more from, I think, failing or things that don't work out than you do from things that do work out. If, if that radio gig had worked out, you may still be 
living in Newfoundland on the radio, doing that same show, saying it's 37 years <laughs> later and here we are, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. It's funny, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, you can't see the path. You can't see where you're going. I, about 10 years ago, I really felt like uh, it was all over for me. And I was thinking, I should go down to the States because I'm sick of being told no by the same people. I'd like <laughs> to be told no by some new people. That's right. And, uh, you know, um, and and then, and then, you know, and I couldn't see a way that that things would change, and but things always do. And yeah. but it's hard to have that faith, isn't it? When you're sort of down and you think, "Oh my God, nothing is working out." Yep. But then the big, the big thing is everything changes. Maybe not for the better all the time, but it does change. Right? I agree. I mean, I, I certainly have been up and down and yeah. up and down all the way along. And there are those long dark nights of the soul where you Oof. sit there going, "Man, I think this is it." Yeah. I don't think there's anything more for me. Out no, there. I know. And but uh, you know, the thing about going starting out. Uh, you know, the thing I guess I learned, if I'd learned anything, was that if you just keep at it, if you keep yep. your head down and keep going, and that's all you can do, isn't it? Just one foot in front of the other, and then you either, yeah. People come to me for advice often, and they'll say, so I want to get into radio or television or whatever it is, any of the things that I do, and say, you know, what, what's your advice? And I said, just don't give up. The advice, I wish I had, like, we'll get this agent and then phone this person. And I think that's what people were looking for. And I said, it, 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 that never worked for me. No. The thing that worked for me was never giving up. <laughs> that's right. Because I can't do anything else. Well, you know, because people, when I was growing up, uh, you know, Aunt May was always trying to get me to take a secretarial course so mm -hmm. I'd have something to fall back on. And and uh, I noticed, though, that people who had something to fall back on, like I had a very good friend, Kay, who got her doctorate in um, in in industrial psychology, well, if you have something to fall back on and things are bad, you fall back. But right. if you have nothing to fall back on, all you can do is keep going forward, right? <laughs> well, it, I, I'm from a, a very small town in Nova Scotia. And in this town for years, it was a pulp and paper town. And so half or probably three quarters of the of the town worked at the pulp and paper mill. And the other quarter, like my dad, had stores that sold stuff to the people that worked at the pulp and paper mill. That's it. That's yeah. all that happened there. And uh, it closed. And for years, people sat and stared at those big buildings and said, one day they'll open those things again. And they didn't do anything. And then someone finally had the good sense to tear all those buildings down. You could see them from virtually everywhere in town. And people said, oh, you know what? We have nothing to fall back on now. We have to create something new. And that's what's happening now. But it took that being taken away from them before right. they realized we, right. have to, we have to get out there and do something else. Uh, yeah, I know. It's like, you know, Newfoundland only exists because of the fishery. In 1992, yeah. the fishery closed down. And I mean, not that I, my father didn't even, I mean, we, we haven't been in the fishery for two mm -hmm. or three generations, right? But the shock, the, yeah. it was such an appalling shock. I mean, we were, you know, I remember we were on, um, Codco yeah. was on CBC. And, and on, on the day that the moratorium happened, our jaws just, we couldn't, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to think, where, who we could be if we weren't that. Yep. Then if we weren't major protein providers, then who in the name of God were we? And it did take a long time. It did take a long time just to get over the shock of that because that's who we were. Now we had to be somebody else. Who were we going to be, you know? When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Mary Walsh, recipient of the 2019 Earl Grey Award at the Canadian Screen Awards. Stay with us.
Welcome back, everybody. I'm thrilled to have Mary Walsh in studio with me. She is the recipient of the 2019 Earl Grey Award at the uh, Canadian Screen Awards. And, of course, we're going to talk about the Cyrus 22 Minutes and Kodka. We're, we're, we're working our way through your life one baby step at a time. And hatching, matching, and dispatching, my that, very favorite. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Kodko because that show... Uh, as an East Coaster myself, that show had a had a, a, a flavor to it that uh, I hadn't seen in comedy here before. I was why I was living in Toronto by the time right. it came on, and I had kind of forgotten. I grew up with that style of humor. There was something that is kind of unique about it. What do you think it was that was unique about it? Well, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, we started in Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. But all people from Newfoundland. All people from Newfoundland. But we did our first show in Toronto. Of course, you know, Theatre Pass Mariah. If you scratch anything in Toronto, you usually, yep. any theatrical thing, you usually find Theatre Pass Mariah behind it. Yep. But um, we were trying to make fun of the way that we were perceived by the rest of Canada. Right. You know, because we had gone from being, uh, uh, you know, Britain's doormat to being Canada's laughing stock, right? And the way we were perceived, the only way people thought of it, in, that was like 1973 when we yeah. started. And uh, you would just have to say you were from Newfoundland, people would fall down yeah. laughing. Yeah. It was so funny that you could be from there. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we were quite bitter and angry about that. Um, and so we did all that, <clears throat> all that stuff. And we went on for about four years as a theater company, and then in 86, we got back together again to do this TV show. And I think we were still at that place, you know, where where there was a lot of anger, I guess, driving things. And, you know, Michael Donovan got uh, John Blanchard from SCTV, and he got Bev Sheckman and Judy Cooper Seeley from SCTV, some of the best makeup and hair people, mm-hmm. Jewel Hallmeyer from yeah. SCTV. We had that whole That's team. It's a choreographer, right? It yeah. was like, you know, so we had this kind of angry... Uh, comedy or or edgy raw, and and yet we had you know really high production values because we had this extraordinary team working with us, and I, th- I I'm not I think that that had something to do with uh, you know uh, what it what we were doing, but I guess this, we just had a Codco reunion at St Mary's University. It was really interesting. It was only two weeks ago, and the academics were treating us you know academically and it was really interesting because we had taken ourselves so seriously Mm -hmm. and we took it so seriously we were out to change the world Richard that's what we and and so and every sketch that we did was based on something real and something that we were moved by you know we didn't do line line joke line line joke we weren't right in the writer's room kind of doing that we were like you know and then you know like every day we'd come in in a you know, whatever happened that day, and then we talk through, like we spend a lot of time talking, and and then we try to you know improvise around yeah, things yeah. that happen like that. But um, so it was it was really nice two weeks ago at St Mary's University to have it taken as seriously as we took it. Yeah, you know, yeah. And and it was a big hit. Yeah. I mean, the country took it seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were on with kids in the hall that? at the same time. Yeah. They were on after us, or we were on before them. I, I don't remember how it went, but we we necked with them. That was a big moment at the Gemini's years yeah. ago. We all <laughs> necked with all of them. We all all Codco necked with all kids in the hall. 
there was no uh, anonymity. I mean, no, yeah. uh, what is it? Animosity. Animosity, yeah. <laughs> anonymity. Yeah, there was yeah. no anonymity either. <laughs> uh, but how gratifying was it uh, uh, coming from a place of saying, we will be taken seriously. We're going to be funny, but we will be taken seriously. And the, the country embraced it. That must have been gratifying. It worked. I know it, it didn't. It took so. It didn't work right away. Right. Like right away, the reviews we got were like, uh, uh, <laughs> "Newfies turn Newfie joke on air," or <laughs> "A boatload of fishy fun." You know, like <laughs> we were vicious. But over time, and with a lot of other people's yeah. input too, things did seem to change, didn't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then when Danny w- took down the flags, that was like the that was the we thought. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I'm speaking with Mary Walsh. She is the 2019 recipient of the Earl Grey Awards Award at the uh, Canadian Screen Award. Um, let's talk. Oh, so Codco uh, yep. it comes to its natural conclusion. Yes. And then this hour is 22 minutes. Still yes. going. Uh, but <laughs> this hour has 27 years yes, and counting. It's yep. crazy. Yep. Uh, but uh, w- that switch for you came with, with a, a change in lifestyle as well, from what I understand. Yes. When, when Codco came to an end, for some reason or other, I stopped drinking. Really, I stopped drinking because I had a son. And mm. I realized that, you know, somebody was going to have to, you know, grow up. Yeah. And uh, it was probably going to have to be me. Um, and of course, I went to Michael Donovan with the idea because I had been going I'd been going to do a Friday night show at the hall in St. John's about the news of the week in St. John's. When I had a meeting with Michael Donovan at Salter Street in Halifax, I said, you know, I'd like to do this weekly. You know, do you remember that was the week that was? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that show so much. Dinah Christie, right? Wasn't that was Dinah Christie playing guitar? Yeah. She'd sing a song about. Not, no, uh, no, not Dinah Christie. That was another show. Mm. That was the week that was was a British show that was on CBC, yep. Yep. and they had somebody playing guitar and they'd do a song every week. And I was really inspired by that. I said, I'd like to do that, and let's have Ron Hines on to sing the song. Yeah, yeah. Many things didn't work out the way we. But anyway, we got together a great, you know, Rick Mercer and Greg Toomey and Kathy Jones and myself. And Michael Donovan, again, put together a great team. And we created the show, uh, you know, uh, out of that. And it was terrifying for about nine years because every Monday there'd be no show. And every right. Friday you'd do a live show. And then um, and then it'd be on the on the air on Monday, right? So you never really believed that you could do it every Every week you think, no, this is the week. The Tainted Blood Scandal week, we thought, no, this is the week we can't do. What are we going to yeah. do? That's the only news. Yeah. But, yeah, so it was great. Uh, I, I hate to—I have a lot of fun now when I go to this hour, 22 minutes. But when I was doing it, I remember Rick Mercer, when we first started, did a little We Got a National TV Show yeah. dance. And I couldn't. I mean, I don't know. I couldn't feel happy. I just was so afraid, you know? It's the pressure that comes along with that. When we come back on the other side of the break, we'll continue our conversation with Mary Walsh, who has a cold. You can hear the cold in her voice. Uh, It's okay. I just want people to know. Uh, Mary Walsh is with us. She's recipient of the 2019 Earl Grey Award. Uh, We'll talk more about this hour is 22 minutes and the pressure that comes along with pounding out that much topical uh, material every single week. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. We have uh, in studio, and I love this, I'm just pulling up my emails now because the email subject line uh, to have you on the show was Canadian comedy treasure Mary Walsh. Uh, 
<laughs> You're a comedy treasure. I'm a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been talking about Codco. We've been talking about this hour is 22 minutes. Lots more to talk about. I want to talk about your novel. I want to talk about all that stuff. But you are the recipient of the 2019 Earl Grey Award. So congratulations. Thank on you that. very much. So you're talking about this hour is 22 minutes in the early stages of that. You get the show. Rick Mercer is doing his little, we got a national show uh, dance. And you're thinking, my God, now we have to do it. I'm thinking, now oh my we God, we've got a national TV show. Oh no, oh no. And and part of the pressure that comes with that is, and, and I understand this a little bit, is having to come up uh, with new material all the time that's topical, that's based on things that are happening in the news. So you know, Friday night at eight o'clock when you're about to do the show, you're kings and queens. You've got a show. Half an hour later, you've got nothing and you have you're to start finished. all over again. You got to start all over again. And and also th- th- there's that. But there's also that pressure that if you do good stuff, like if you manage to, you know, do something that I remember once I got a standing ovation for some piece I did and I was unable because of my own uh, you know, character defects, to feel joy in that. I just thought, now what am I going to do? What am I going to do for next week? How am I going to get a right. you know, standing ovation well, this again? This will never happen again. Right. Yes. Yes. So, you know, so a lot of my time, I could have been having a lot better time. I yeah. could have been doing that. We got a national TV show dance, but I wasn't capable of doing it. You, you know, know, it's funny because you're not the first person that has told me in retrospect I wish I had enjoyed that more. Yeah. The huge success that you can have on something and and still feel just that burden of the success is something that is very real. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's like vaunting ambition. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got to do better. I've got to do better. Yeah. I've got to be perfect. I can't be imperfect. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just crazy. And I think that some of it has to do with alcohol and probably right. generations of, of alcohol. And, uh, and, and then some of it has to be, do with being young. And not that I was that young, I was 40, but, uh, but I find that as I get older, I'm able to enjoy myself a lot more. I think and that I comes think with being wonderful. comfortable in your skin. Yeah. That comes from, it comes from any number of things. I used to think when I was first starting out in radio, in particular in radio, and I recently digitized a lot of tapes that I've been lugging around for 40 or more years now. And, uh, and I thought, okay, well, just let's get rid of them, digitize them. We do this. And I've listened to some of the early air checks of my, my work, which would have made your early radio attempts seem like, you know, Casey Kasem. I mean, <laughs> I was not good at this, at this job. Uh, but I wanted so much and I put so much pressure on myself to be perfect that I couldn't do it. And it wasn't until I embraced the imperfections and the, the ums and ahs that come along with the way that I speak naturally and got comfortable with it that I got successful with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It's like I always, like I told you about lying all the time about being in Brooklyn and always wanting to be a different person. And the closer you get to accepting the person that you are, yep. then the closer you are to having some kind of a decent life mm-hmm. that's worth living, right? And, uh, and it's interesting, too, because I'm 66 now, and... You know, getting very, I'm getting closer all the time. I mean, I have more behind me than I have in front of me. And yet I find that somewhat comforting because I'm not faced with all those goddamn decisions Uh, and, and am I going to do this or am I going to do that? I sort of, you know, it seems I'm more comfortable with less. Well, it's also interesting. And I have a quote here from you somewhere where you had said, um, when you get older in this business, you kind of get put on the garbage heap. 
Yeah. And and that I mean, you're also I mean, you're getting the Lifetime Achievement Award, but you're also nominated for lead actress for best supporting actress. It doesn't seem like you're on the garbage heap. No, I feel like maybe things are changing. You know, yeah. Glenn Close was on with the Golden Globes mm-hmm. and. Uh, and she spoke, I, I'm not fond of Glenn Close, she seems a very cold kind of person, but she spoke so from the heart about her mother and that when her mother, and her mother had dedicated her life to Glenn Close's yeah. father's success, yeah. and then when she was 86, she turned to Glenn Close and she said, I've never really done anything with my life. And and Glenn Close was so moved by yeah. that and said, we have to, you know, we have to be all those things, but we have to take care of ourselves. We have to do things for ourselves. And I think there's more of that now. I mean, still, though, when Gr- Frankie and Grace came on, mm-hmm. my uh, I had somebody working for me who was only 23 then. And Jamie said to me, oh, my God, I've never actually seen two old ladies talking to each other on TV. <laughs> Seriously, her whole life, she'd never seen it. Yeah. She was so thrilled, right? So it, you do tend to disappear. As an older woman, right. you disappear, really, seriously. You know what I mean? And, I, I mean, I can't even think what indigenous people think because, you know, like if you think about Canadian comedy and you think about sketch comedy and you think we're really strong in sketch comedy, you think kids in the hall, all men, all yeah. white. Um, um, you know, even the Baroness von Sketch, yeah, all yeah. women but all white. Yeah. Uh, Codco, not yeah. even not even white, blue. It would take us a couple of uh, <laughs> days in the sun to turn white, you know. And so I'm so glad to see this APTN uh, yeah. uh, may contain nuts with uh, right, Howie yeah. Miller in them. Yeah. Because, you know, it's time, isn't it? It's the time. And, and um, so I don't mean to complain too much about being, uh, being an older woman comic. But it, it's like... Women, uh, you know, men don't really like funny women. Like, the, you know, like in your 10 top things that you right. want in a man, women are always putting in the first three Fun, funny. Ma- makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. makes me laugh. Yeah. Men never put that in because they're afraid we're going to laugh at their mighty sword or something. <laughs> and women, of course, are afraid of men, too, afraid they're going to kill them, as Margaret Atwood said. Uh, but I think that was Margaret Atwood. Yeah, it gets attributed yeah. to a lot of people. But... Um, I think things are changing a little, but see, really seriously, if you look at TV, there's Betty White. Yeah. And what else is there on the network? Uh, on the on on network television, um, there are uh, on the Big Bang Theory. I mean, it's you know it, there there is a strong female character. I'm just I, listen. I'm blanking. But because, not old. Yeah, not old. No, not no, old. Not old. No, 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 no. not even right. not even middle age. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, you just time out. Yeah. Right. You time out. And so, you know, we have to write things, right? We have to write things for ourselves, just like being in Newfoundland. You have to do everything for yourself. If you had a fishing boat, you had to figure out how to, like my dad said, Newfoundlanders aren't that friendly, really. They just know how to do stuff. You know, they they can adjust really easily. Because he said when the Yanks came, like they hired all these electricians. And there are Newfoundlanders who'd never seen electricity. And they went to the base, they lied, got the job. And then the next thing you know, they're they're number one electricians because they have to figure, there's nobody else is going to do it. So you have to figure everything out for yourself. So we have to write our own material. We have to get on the air as older women, you know, like, uh, because we are a vibrant part of, like uh, Gloria Steinem says, uh, women are the only, well, there's only two two genders, (laughs) but we are, we become more radical with age, right? Right. That women, because we lose power, because we are no longer the object of anybody's desire, which is what we've been an object all along, we get to become the subject of our own lives then. And so, like, that's a great, 
thing. And, and the message is always that, like my message, like you're just left on the garbage heap or old age is great. Uh, the, uh, old age is better than, than death, but not by much, you know. <laughs> but that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why you have to self-generate. You're exactly. always You're always having to. And, and I think more and more, though, just across the board, I don't think we can look to uh, outside business or outside forces to come to us and hand us anything anymore. It's all in the in the new world of you know web series and and everything that's out there now. You have to create your own stuff. Yeah, and we've been doing that forever. You know because we're on an island. There's nobody going to come in and take care of things. You know what I mean. And so you have to. You have to do everything. You have to be the producer and the writer and the actor and the, you know, the whole works. Yeah. And was there, is there, and we've only got about a minute left in the segment, is there one of those delineations that you are more comfortable with than the other? I think that I'm not, if I, sometimes I do get hired to do other people's work. You know what I mean? Like in a film or something. And I think I'm not as afraid of that anymore. I figure I can do it. Uh, but writing is still, you know, I still have that fear of the of the empty page in front of me. And um, I'm producing a little web series now with uh, myself and Kathy Jones. And I always feel like, uh, uh, you know, I, that terrible thing that people talk about all the time, like you feel like you're fake, even though... Yeah, you the know, imposter syndrome. Yeah, the yeah. imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, I'm so tired of the whole thing you know i'm just tired of myself really <laughs> i'm going to emerge right. you know as a butterfly That's i'm really right. tired of being the caterpillar with the imposter syndrome and the, oh my god things were so hard when i was little and you know it, it does get dreary after a while doesn't it <laughs> let's pick that up on the other side of the break i'm in conversation with mary walsh recipient of the earl gray award at the canadian screen award stay with us Mr. Shear, oh my God, Mark Delahunty, how are you? Do you know Mark Critch? Congratulations on becoming the next Prime Minister. Well, not really, I know, but basically, hey? Uh, but, uh, uh, my God, isn't it a wonderful time for you to become PM when all the racist right-wing wingnuts have all gone over to Maxime Bernier and all that's left in the party is the quiet. The loud ones went over there. All you got left are the quiet racist right-wing nuts, right? <laughs> This oh is God, Mark like De- the, the unmistakable voice of Mark Delahunty. Uh, my guest, Mary Walsh. You are you are the warrior princess. You are her. And and uh, uh, tell me what goes through the eyes of people when you go to Andrew Shear, when you go to Stephen Harper, when you would just sort of ambush them. What what would happen? You must read something on their face before you open your mouth. Yeah. <clears throat> You know, as we uh, as we got more popular, the show, uh, people would be welcome us, except for like Mike Harris and uh, who's buddy out in Alberta, Ralph. Ralph Klein. Oh, Ralph Klein. I mean, honestly, like Ralph Klein. You know, all the great, uh, you know, villains in in literature, like uh, you know Scrooge. He yeah. said, you know, are there no poor houses? Right, you right, know, right. but he didn't go down to the poor house and spit on the poor and throw money at them, get his driver to take him down there half drunk on a Saturday night. I mean, he was just the most outrageous person. They didn't. Uh, I, you could never see anything in their eyes. I couldn't. They were very, and it was like kissing Stephen Harper that time. Like, whoever Mr. Harper is, good or bad, yep. I'm not sure, 
what he is on the outside is not what he's in on the inside. Right. So it was like kissing a stick. Like there was like, you know, nothing. There's nothing that goes on in their eyes because they're not there in yeah. a way. The yeah. real Ralph and the real Mike Harris and the real or like um, Mr. Um, Ford. Rob Ford, Rob Ford yeah. who, uh, you know, it's funny, you know. The that just, was a big deal. That became a big deal for you. Yeah. People were so upset because yeah. he said that I scared his children. Yeah. There were no children there. Isn't that crazy about the conservatives? When No matter if they can't open their, hello, he lied. You know what I mean? It's like everything is a lie. And, of course, as they say, a lie travels around the world three times yeah. before the it's, truth even gets out of bed, mm-hmm. right? So uh, just the other day, somebody wrote in and said, now she's ambushing Andrew Scheer. Is it, wasn't it enough that she terrified poor Mr. Ford's children? Still out there. Still, you know, there were no children. There was just poor old Mr. Ford. And his, as I came to realize much later, and and his severe, severe addiction problem, uh, disease, mm-hmm. the disease of addiction. But um, yeah, uh, th- those people were, um, you know, kind of um, dead, yeah. dead eyes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, old dead eyes. Maybe that's good for politics. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, you, I guess you have a face that you put forward, and you yeah. have to, and and you know, you're constantly <laughs> getting barraged by. Yes. Questions everywhere you go. It's a it's a difficult life and not one that I would want. Never. Uh, People always say, "Are you going to be in politics?" I went, "No," because nope. I'd always be going. And then yeah, I, I was working till eleven <laughs> o'clock trying to get the money for the schools, and now you're saying this. You're to me? yelling at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't do it. And and when she when Mark became very popular, yeah, did that add a pressure to get more outrageous or to 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 amp it up a little bit. I just heard myself on on, on uh, Mr. Shear, and I was really um, stumbly bumbly on that, wasn't I? And uh, and I see some old Mark things, and I'm you know yeah. straight through, perfect. Uh, so I don't know. Um, I. Uh, uh, Marg was always difficult because, of course, I always had – we only had the one one shot at yeah. it, and we were ambushing someone, and there was usually at a scrum, and there were usually people there from CTV and CBC in their Burberry coats yeah, and their yeah. leather things, and I was there in the felt costume with the right. gold glue. And the plastic sword. So I already felt humiliated and ashamed. And really that helped me a lot because I would then think, well, shag it. I'll just go for it. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. There's no point in trying to be something. I am this. No. Well, exactly. <laughs> I am. Th- this is what's happening yeah. right now in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's from theater training, isn't it? Yeah. This is happening now in the moment and we're going to run with it. I know. I know. I know. I, I have never been able to really grasp that. I often think, well, I do a one-woman show, and I, I was, sometimes I'm going in, and I'll think, wow, I really did a great job yeah. on that. And then, of course, I'm screwed because yeah. I don't know where I am because my mind's gone yeah. off to compliment myself. You start on. overthinking. <laughs> you start overthinking. Well, earlier on, you mentioned that sometimes looking at the blank page is difficult for you. Yes. And now I, I'm, I spend more time writing than I do doing this. And for me... I've learned that every page is a possibility. That's what I tell myself as uh, I'm staring at an empty page trying to yeah. think of something to put on it. But uh, you wrote a book, considering how terrified you are of it. And I love this quote where you said, uh, you couldn't bear the thought of dying without having written a book. So you wrote one. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And it was um, because ever since I was about eight or seven or something, because books were so important in my life, because I was often by myself upstairs, you know, reading books. And they really did make my life, really, books. And so I always wanted to be one of them, yeah. one of those people who save people's lives by, you know. <laughs> and so, like, I wanted to be, um, you know, that uh, South African writer who later moved to Australia. Uh, he can say more in a sentence than anybody else can say. In a, but Truma I realized. Capote for me. Truman Capote for me. Oh, yeah. Is someone who's, there is not a sentence in anything that he wrote that isn't perfect. Ah, and so I realized that I was not going to be that. But I didn't really want to be anything less than that. But then I realized that I couldn't die having never done the one thing that I said to myself that I always wanted yeah. to do. So then uh, I wrote the novel. It got out. It became a Canadian bestseller, which is not a big number of books. You know what I mean? But it's not yeah, bad. You're, you're selling thousands and, uh, of books. It's called Crying for the Moon, by the way. Crying yeah. for the Moon. And people were um, surprised that it was darker than they thought it was going to be. They thought it was going to be funnier. Uh, but a lot of women... Especially women my age, not just white women my age or women from Newfoundland, but women my age, really identified with Maureen, who is my age, uh, but she's 19 in the book. And so it was very, very good. But then the sad news was that you can't be an author just with one book because everybody has one book in them. So you really have to write four or five. So it took me <laughs> about 60 years to write that one. Yeah. So, you know, I'm really working hard. Well, I'm not really working hard, but I'm. I'm trying to get it. At least if I got another one out. You get two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, have yeah. two, and then you, the, that's enough of a shelf space. Yeah, that's you know? right. That's, yeah. It'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have an idea for another one? Yes, I've already started. Yeah. I'm actually going to Fog the Fogo Island Inn on, uh, later on in like the month. One of the most beautiful places in the world. And yeah. I'm doing a reading for my new book. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. But it's not. It, it's a you know very very rough. Yeah. It's not. It's not in any way a book. It's a few pages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you spend a lot of time in Newfoundland. Still, you live there. Oh yes, and, and, I live but there. But you seem to always be on a plane somewhere. I am always on a plane, yeah. which probably is why I have a cold. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Don't put your hand in the the compartment in front of you in the in the where they have all the menus and the and the vomit bags the and stuff. That's apparently the filthiest and the headrest. Wow. Don't touch those. It'd be good if they cleaned them and if Boring would, you know, put in those safety features. That's and right. if planes would just, you know, up their game yep. a little. Yep. Yeah. Get up, fly, and, <laughs> yeah. and get you where you're going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it about Newfoundland that keeps you going back? I thought, you I mean, know. It's home, but. It's home. There is something very 19th century about Newfoundland's. Uh, relate, Newfoundlanders' relationship with Newfoundland. And it's like, I used to be kind of ashamed of it, how we loved Newfoundland so much. And then I realized that was an extra little gift we had that yeah. everybody didn't ne necessarily <laughs> right. have anymore, right. that we loved where we were. Like there's a, one of the Crosbys had on his... Uh, um, uh, that that uh, uh, on his headstone that uh, you knew who the Newfoundlander in heaven because they were always asking to go home. Right, right, right. And uh, and so it is a gift that uh, you just it, it like you know breathes there a man with soul so dead who never to himself has said this is my home my native land. Don't people just don't say that anymore? But we do. 
We do. I had Alan Doyle in here a while ago talking about his book, A Newfoundlander in Canada, and he was saying, you know, you talk to people down there, and they talk about stories about giant magical squids and things, and he said, and it's like it's just part of the conversation. It's yes. a different part of the world. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's like, uh, what's his name uh, in 100 Years of Solitude said that in South America, a, 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 a train was like an extraordinary experience, right. but a girl being lifted up to heaven was just an everyday event, <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've talked, uh, there's so much more to talk about and we're, we're virtually out of time here, but let me just find one more thing that will blow people's minds about you. Is there anything that offends you? Is there anything that, so we think about Mark Delahunty, we think about getting laughs, we think about some of the, 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 the humor born of anger from Codco, we think of... Uh, Lies offend me. Lies offend me. Outward lies, even though I'm a liar myself, like I told you already from being a little girl, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, I I find it very offensive to be lied to on a daily basis. And and nobody even pretends anymore that they're not lying. It's just the whole thing is made up of lies. Like, why do I have to go in? Why am I being pushed to use a self-checkout? Like, first I have to go. I have to spend. They're not giving me a discount because I'm checking myself out and plus they're putting somebody else out of a job. And you know what Why I find, are we being pushed to that? You know what I find galling about that yeah. is that they are having cashiers push you to the self-checkout. They are literally making themselves obsolete I by, know. and they're being told to do it and it's I know it's, it's like me. people in the South voting for Donald Trump. They're voting themselves out of Obama Obamacare. They're voting yeah. them they're voting against their own self-interest and yet is something go is there something in the Kool-Aid or something going on now? I, I, I don't know. The world has changed and I don't know. For the I know. better? I don't know. And the world always changes, doesn't yeah, it? And it so does. we can count on that in a way. <laughs> My guest in studio has been Mary Walsh. She is the 2019 recipient of the Earl Grey Award at the uh, Canadian Screen Awards. This hour is 22 minutes. Codco's Hatching and Dispatching. It goes on in our Hatching, Matching, and Dispatching. Uh, Christmas Fury was one of the things you were nominated for here. That you're, you're still working so much. You are Canada's comedy treasure. Oh, thank you, as, Richard. As, as the email said, and it's true. <laughs> what a pleasure spending an hour with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I loved it. Uh, thank you, Mary. Uh, My thanks to Andre on the board. My thanks most of all to you for listening. We'll talk again next week. Thank you.